Socks on 35th is next. Doors open on the left. How's it going, everybody? My name is Duke Coughlin, and welcome to the Socks on 35th podcast. We are back with another exciting episode covering your Chicago White Sox. As always, I'm joined by panelist Jordan Lazowski, Nick Gower, and our special guest, Michael Suaro. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Michael, I hope I didn't butcher your last name, but regardless, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks, Duke. You pronounced it perfectly. Proud of you, buddy. Um, I'm doing all right over here. Um, I'm looking forward to talking about something other than the current state of the White Sox. Um, Hopefully we can talk about brighter things ahead because right now isn't looking great, but it's always a pleasure to be talking to you guys. Yeah, Michael, thanks for joining us. And um, I missed the first, well, we're recording this during the White Sox doubleheader against the Blue Jays. I missed the first half of the Sox math question, so I can't play today. I'm, <laughs> I'm less than thrilled about that, um, but I am watching the game at the same time. So if, like mid podcast, you see me just, uh, it's, it's, it's like a disease. I can't quit this team. So if you see me getting mad over something that happened, like go check your uh, MLB TV and try and figure out what happened because it, it's a disease I can't quit at this point i don't know it sounds to me like that's just a really convenient excuse for not wanting socks math today like if you were really a champion no. you would still win that, that okay if i really wanted to seriously if i really wanted to i go back and find it and i might now just because you said this i might go back and look for it so i just Whatever. want you know what it. wait hold on you win socks math and then you can start talking crap <laughs> just, just start there the baseline should be you have to win it first I just want to timestamp this by saying that Lance Lynn has like eight strikeouts through five and two thirds. So if Jordan bragging about socks math just ruined this start, you can go back to this podcast and you can realize that uh, Jordan Lazowski on Twitter found him. He's not hard to find. He's on threads now, too. Anyway, um, it's good to hear that you guys have been doing good and ready. Really excited for this episode, um, not only to talk about the wonderful Chicago baseball or Chicago baseball team on the south side, but to talk about the potential future. But before we get to that, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the website at SoxOn35th.com, as well as following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at SoxOn35th. So obviously, we have to discuss the current state of the Chicago White Sox. I mean can't really get around it you know we don't have to go crazy on it but to set the tone another pretty tough west coast road trip losing a series against the oakland athletics splitting against the angels third worst record in the entire al it's really hard to find a lot of optimism you know i i I think i think a lot of us pride ourselves on this not being a negative white Sox podcast where we just don't go on here and beat this team over the head every chance we get. But uh, it's getting incredibly difficult not to uh, point out how underwhelming this season has been. And uh, I think everybody's starting to talk about it a lot more, you know, a lot, a lot more than obviously was discussed with the negative people. I think everybody in even in a rational mindset has realized that this team is underwhelming. This team's playing very badly. And uh, it's just a funk that seems like it's very hard to get out of currently. And I think it's, the end of the line at this point, right? Seven games back, no real end in sight. You got a GM. Everyone's mad about how Rickon was talking. Like, oh, he's not committing. I, I think if you listen closely enough, he's committed to selling in, in the next couple weeks. 
they kind of set the tone perfectly for bringing on Michael to discuss the draft. Um, everybody's head is completely elsewhere at, at this point, to be honest with you. I, I think we all watch it because we enjoy baseball, but I, I think it's watched with the reality that, you know, think about the next couple of weeks on this podcast, we're going to be talking about, you know, the trade deadline moves, what went wrong, um, sort of a mid-season recap, I guess. But all of that stuff, it's like, the eyes are to the future. At this point, I think we're pretty firmly at that point. I know Duke has tried his best to reel me in week after week, and even Nick uh, reel us both in week after week uh, from walking off the deep end with this team, but I think we're there at this point. Yeah, I mean, while I do agree, it is kind of funny when you think about the fact that they're, as we're currently speaking, seven games back of the division. And they've really been that sort of five to, I don't know, nine game back window for quite a while now. So it's like not really that much has changed. But I think the reason that we're all a lot more definitive about saying that we're out on this team is because nothing has changed. And it's been like, I don't know, a month, month and a half since they've kind of started clawing their way back. So they've just wasted too much time not gaining ground at this point with the trade deadline just a few weeks away. It's like, okay, could they still feasibly go 500 from this point in the season and hope the division is so bad that they still make the playoffs? I mean, honestly, yes. But the odds are so low that it's like, you might as well just sell off. And if you end up lucking into a few wins here and there, then it is what it is. So I'm with you. I'm really at this point just tuning in for, like, you know, Robert Jimenez, the guys who are actually hitting, or, you know, Giolito sees on the pitching side, although not not for long when it comes to Giolito, probably. And, uh, that actually leads to you, Jordan, if you have anything to add, because I know you're a big Giolito guy. Yeah, I'm sad about that. And, and I think, you know, Nick, you kind of hit on it. It's the, it's the point in everything that Rakan has said that kind of exactly sets the tone of, you know, being able to be um, do damage in October. This team can't do that. Even if they won the division, that's not good enough for them. And I think it's good to hear that they recognize that just winning the division, the division isn't enough. But it sucks because, like, you were supposed to be doing more than winning the division at this point. You were supposed to have higher hopes anyway. Um, so, so it's good to see that it doesn't seem like they're going to mortgage the long term future for for some sort of for for some sort of short term gain that they may get in just a terrible division. Um, but again, it's still frustrating that it's July sixth, and we're we're thinking about draft coverage the next two weeks and then sell off the week after that. And then just like a post-mortem on the rebuild come August. Like it is supposed to be the middle of the contention window, not the end of it. And I think that's just frustrating to be at this point in the season. So early both into the contention window, as well as the season in general. Yeah. It's times like these where I'm happy on the guy that's covering the farm system and not the actual team. Um, you know, I've gotten good use out of my MILB.TV subscription so far this season, especially recently. Um, yeah, after that athletic series, I'm, I'm just kind of starting to get checked out from this team. Um, you know, like you said, Nick, you know, I'll, I'll watch, you know, I'm, I'm obviously watching for Luis Robert and Dylan Cease. He always been picking up lately. Um, Giolito, I'm watching just to see how high his trade value is going because he is clearly our best trade ad set at this moment. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think, you know, Jordan, like you said, he, he didn't necessarily say it, but Rickon pretty much said, yeah, like, unless this team just takes a massive U-turn and just rattles off 10 in a row, like, the, this is gonna, 
end up being a selling uh, trade deadline for us. And I think that's the right way to go. You know, we, we don't have the deepest farm system. That's no secret. Um, this is definitely not the year that we should be trading off what little we do have in the farm system just to try to win a week AL Central and then you know, probably not make it out of the first round of the playoffs, for being honest. So I, I'm I'm all for you know trading off, you know, at least our rentals and trying to bolster this this farm system. You know, again, Lucas Giolito should get us a pretty good prospect and you know we have some relievers that'll get something in return. So after this trade deadline, our farm system should at least be deeper. Um, maybe not bottom five, maybe more like bottom ten. Uh, fingers crossed. Um, Jeez. But- <laughs> I, I'll definitely be keeping an eye on that. We we do have some guys on the upswing too, so I, I do think you know once midseason rankings come out, and uh, we add in whatever we get at the deadline, we take into account Noah Schultz's rise potentially, maybe being a top hundred prospect. I think that's possible, um, but I, I definitely think that this farm system should at least be on the upswing. It's not going to be elite, but it'll definitely be in a better position than it was uh when we see some of these mid-season uh rankings so i'm i'm excited for that as well yeah you know i really think you know and i I agree with a lot that you said there michael uh specifically for you know being able to trade off the pieces as far as rentals you know the guys that have one year remaining on the deal um what i really want to see the white Sox do at the deadline is just really take the opportunity to not necessarily gut the entire team but just just accept defeat on a lot of the guys that aren't going to be here in a year or two. You know, just just pull the trigger, get whatever you can for him. You know, obviously, Giolito, with the way he's been pitching, he is going to – I think he does get a solid prospect. It's all going to depend on what team is going to go after him and how needy they are for a starting pitcher, which is, I'm sure, a, a, bar, a great bargaining trip that Rick Hahn hopefully will use. But overall, I think best-case scenario, you end up, you know – you end up trading off some pieces. You end up looking at this team after the season's season is over with hopefully a better looking farm system, some key pieces that are still with the team. And you have a chance to kind of reevaluate how you want to run this thing moving forward. Because, you know, while, while, uh, you know, I don't think it's completely dire, you know, I think, uh, you brought up Aloy Jimenez, you know, batting 356 with a 383 on base percentage and a 556 slugging. 939 OPS in the last two weeks. That's very promising. And especially if he could stay healthy, his, uh, his batting average and his numbers just across the board have continually go gone up. And we all know how Aloy ends up hitting in August with, in regards to home runs. Um, but yeah, I'm with you guys. The main reason really I'm watching this team at this point is just, just to see guys like Aloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, you know, see Andrew Benintendi, hopefully start to build, you know, a long-term presence on this team if we are going to try to really run this back with anything worth contending next season. But uh, I'm just hoping we get more answers than we get questions by the time the uh, the deadline's all said and done. But, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I really roll with a lot of you guys. Um, as Creed said, I'm six feet from the edge, and six feet ain't looking too, too, uh, too far right now. <laughs> Sorry, had to, had to drop it, but... <laughs> <laughs> that's where i'm at that's where i'm at the white Sox had me listening to creed so i think that should really say it all um but yeah i mean but that's that's why we have michael on here because we're gonna all be happy we're gonna get really excited about the future and we're gonna get really excited about what the white Sox are gonna do in this draft because there's absolutely no way rick Hahn can mess it up again is that right 
Is that, is that what I'm understanding? Um, so just kind of kicking us off here, Michael, because, uh, you know, you are kind of the draft and uh, prospects expert in the room. Um, you did end up writing up writing up an article, I believe it was last week or two weeks ago, about uh, kind of the preview of the draft and some of the best targets the White Sox have in the first round. Um, maybe give us a little breakdown of that article. You know, give a little uh, give a little idea of what you covered in it. Yeah. So in that article, I pretty much just highlighted the prospects uh, in this draft who realistically could be available at pick 15 and who could be of interest uh, for the White Sox at that pick Um, broke it down by position. Um, There's, I mean, really there's a bunch of different options in this draft and the White Sox are kind of a wild card at pick 15. Um, No one really knows exactly the direction they're going to go. And part of that is just because after really pick five or six, the, the board can really fall in a bunch of different ways. So it part of it kind of depends on who's there at 15. Um, and part of it is, you know, obviously the, the White Sox scouting department. Um, there's just a bunch of these guys that are kind of all clustered into that mid first round range. And, you know, one guy you'd be, you know, you wouldn't be surprised if he got picked, you know, 11th or 12th, but you also wouldn't be surprised if he fell into the 20s. So it, it could really go a bunch of different ways, but there, there's a bunch of specifically position players that I highlighted in that article. Uh, some pitchers as well. Um, it, it doesn't really seem like the board's going to fall pitcher. Um, there are one or two names that it could end up if they fell to 15 that the White Sox could be interested in. But in general, I think the draft is just much deeper at uh, in position players, specifically the college position players, because if you think about it, we're now three years removed from the COVID draft. That was only five rounds. I think only about maybe a quarter of those draft picks were high school kids. So though all those, you know, top high school prospects that weren't drafted then are now draft eligible this year. So it, you're seeing a really deep class because of that. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited because I really don't have a specific answer on where the Sox are going to go. I have my own ideas of where the Sox might go, but it could really fall a bunch of different ways. Michael, I, I guess you kind of answered my first question. Um, but I'll still ask it anyway. I guess I have two kind of related questions here. You know, you said like, hey, there's guys who could be picked 11 or 12 or could fall to 20. You view that as the sign of a deep draft is kind of what I'm getting the sense of. And then on top of that, before we get into any specific names, um, I I guess for those who might be newer to the draft process or really don't understand it a ton, I guess explain a little bit about the bonus pool that we continue to hear about. Because uh, from most people's perspective, that does a lot in terms of for, for some guys deciding whether or not they choose this guy with the first pick or with, or they let him fall a couple rounds of draft, I guess, or a couple picks in draft, I guess, explain sort of the role of the bonus pool as well. Um, before we even get into specific names. Yeah. So, um, the bonus pool is, you know, every team, every draft pick is slotted a select, um, signing bonus pool. So, um, you know, Pick one is around roughly $10 million. Uh, I know the White Sox slot at 15 is around four and a half million. And it kind of, as you go down the draft, the, the bonus pool gets slightly lower and lower. And 
it, it, it's not necessarily like you have to spend exactly that much amount on that pick, but you add up your collection of you know bonus pool money from those first 10 rounds, and that's the amount that you uh, can go, that you can use to sign all of your, to sign your top 10 draft picks, basically. Um, there are some rules. You can go a little bit over. Um, I think you can go up to 5% over that uh, total slot value and you, you get like a 75% tax on that. And then anything above that, then you start forfeiting draft picks. So that's kind of a way for the MLB to deter teams from just spending an insane amount of money to make sure they can get any prospect they want. Basically, it keeps it a little bit more fair. But yeah, that's kind of how the draft goes is it's not just about, oh, you can pick whatever player you want. It's you can pick whatever player you want as long as you can sign them within your allotted draft pool. That is really important information because the MLB draft really does differ from the NFL, NHL, and um, NBA draft in that regard. You know, I mean, especially when you have when you include the international pool with how the White Sox end up signing most of their prospects. You know, it is it does really kind of uh, make an interesting uh, rule set have to be put in place for the MLB draft. Um, so kind of moving forward as far as like what the White Sox are going to do or what you think their plan will be. Um, do you really have a preference? I guess this would be your personal preference as far as what the Sox would do. Do you have a preference over say a high school player over a, a college player? You know, is there, is there something about, you know, raw prospects and an MLB team being able to get their hands on them right away out of high school to be able to mold them the way they want to be? Or are you about more of kind of a finished product, a guy that has had the opportunity to get a little bit more coaching and maybe is a little bit more of a finished product on the MLB level and isn't something that is so much on the uh, the de- developmental cycle of the MLB team per se? Wh- which one Which one do you really think? Do you think there's positive negative of each side? Do you think there is uh, really one you lean towards stronger than the other? How do you kind of feel about that process? Because that is something that is a lot different than like uh, a lot of the other drafts out there. Yeah, so this is a, a bit of a cop-out answer, but I'm I'm really more just about best player available um, because, you know, there's always, you know, a, you know, some people do prefer going the, the, the prep bat or the prep pitcher who is generally seen as being a higher upside type of player versus a college uh, player who's usually seen as a bit safer. But I think the value also has to be there. You know, I, I don't think you should just be drafting a high school player just to draft a high school player if the college bats are significantly better um, when you're up to pick. So I, there's definitely positives and negatives to both sides. Um, high school players also generally um, command uh, higher signing bonuses because they can just threaten the team and say, if you don't give me what I want, I'm just going to honor my college commitment. Um, Whereas, you know, college juniors, they can still technically do that, but they're probably losing value if they're staying in next year in college. So um, it's all kind of a balance of, you know, really who's at the top of your board. um, How much are those players asking for in terms of signing bonuses and and how can you fit that in with prospects that you plan on drafting later as well like are you planning on floating a first round talent down to the second round with a over slot um value if that's the case then you probably do want to go with the college player 
Um, are you just saying, I want the best player available? And is this um, kid out of, you know, out of a Indiana high school, then that's who you're taking. You, then you, you, then you have to figure it out later in the draft about how you're going to fit his signing bonus into your, into your plans. So it's, I, I, sorry if it's a bit of a cop-out answer, but it, it, it is really just dependent on who's available and, you know, how, how, how the board falls for you. No, I, uh, I really do like that answer. I mean, it gives us, gives everybody a little bit of an insight of like what's going through these, going through these GMs minds when they're picking who they're picking and everything like that. And, you know, I, I think you brought up an important point about if you, t- if you do draft a prep player, not only is it a bit of a, a, not only is it a bit of a risk in regards to, are they, a sh- you know, are they going to ever develop into the player that we think they're going to develop in is, Oh, well, I can just go to college, you know, because that has been seen throughout the course of time with some of MLB's, you know, top prospects, you know, throughout the years is, some of these, some of these guys that you see drafted in the first round have already been drafted previously. You know what I mean? So it is, uh, it is really interesting with how that process goes. And I don't think it's something that, you know, unless you're really a big baseball guy that a lot of people dive into, um, you know, that all, okay. So that all being said, obviously I asked, you know, about which, which side you prefer. Let's get a little bit more specific here. Um, do you think there is a set position the White Sox should go in direction of? Do you think we need another arm in the bullpen? Do you think we need another potential potential starter? Do you think we need to get the best position player available? Do you see a, a position that down the line that could really be hindering the team? I can think of one off the top of my head, but um, is there one? Is there really a, a strategy you want to see the team go with besides, you know, obviously best player available? Um, so I'd say the strength of this draft, especially in terms of, um, what's probably going to be available when the Sox pick, it's probably going to be, um, your, your middle infield bats. I think there's going to be, uh, at least a couple of those guys that are definitely within that range. That'll probably be there at pick 15. Um, you know, honestly, I, I could see them going that direction or if you know a guy like um Kirsten Waldrop is available at pick 15 he's a college pitcher from Florida um he's probably the only pitcher that could fall to 15 that um that they would really take um I, we'll, we'll see how the board falls but I got I have a funny feeling that he's he might be the only pitcher worth taking at 15 if he even falls that far but I could definitely see him being the pick if he's there, just because there's a big drop off at pitcher after him. Um, but you know, if a guy like Blake Mitchell's there at 15, who Duke I know you like, I'm a big fan of his as well. Uh, he's the high school catcher. He's clear cut best prep catcher in this draft. Big power, big arm. He he's generally you know that player profile is generally seen as one of the riskiest you can take in the first round. But I, I think that's a direction they could go as well, especially with the White Sox knowing that there isn't any organizational depth at the catcher position. You know, if he's high on their board, if they, you know, if it's between him and another guy, say it's between him and a third baseman, um, that they both see them very highly, that could be a tiebreaker where they say, okay, well, we have, you know, some infielders that we like. We don't really have any catching prospects that we like. So, let's take the catching prospect. So it it could go that way as well. Yeah, I hear you on that, Michael. I think 
That's a good point because a lot of people like to talk about best player available, and it's a it's a theory that I mostly subscribe to as well. But a lot of times scouts are split, or maybe even one scout can feel that players are so equal that you do give a tiebreaker to you know maybe a shortstop over a, a third baseman because he's more athletic or something. You know there are always more factors. And one thing I also want to add is when Duke said um, he can think of one position off the top of his head that the White Sox have struggled with, it's kind of sad sorry to bring the vibes down but i was like oh he's talking about right field wait no he's talking about catcher wait no he's talking about second base like i, I, I so I, i'm just curious dude what did you mean when you said that jeez nick well i'm glad that you finally connected the dot that it was a catcher but i mean <laughs> yeah i mean yeah right field is a kind of a glaring hole nick i'll let you finish your point here in a second but uh michael i i did want to comment on the blake mitchell point because you know, Blake is my personal favorite in the draft. You know, not only does it fill a position in need, but, you know, I, I enjoy a catcher who can, or really any power bat who can hit off the left side of the plate, can work a count. Um, I think his plate presence at his age is a little unprecedented. You know, I think it's something that uh, you see a lot more from guys who play in the college game because you're going to see significantly better pitching. But, you know, I think with where the White Sox are as a team, they can be a little bit more patient with a guy like this. You know, I think this is a guy who can slowly move, move up the ranks in, you know, minor league ball. And uh, if he explodes off the scene and moves right up through the minors, I mean, he's still a guy you're going to want to stash there for a while. Cause you really don't want somebody that young to be playing an LB roster, especially if the white Sox aren't going to necessarily be competitive moving forward. But um, I really think if he is there at 15, you know, I, I guy, I, I know I fall in love with draft prospects. I do it throughout every sport, but I would just be really upset if we ended up passing on Mitchell. Yeah, actually, Duke, that was going to be basically my point, which is when you're talking about best player available versus <laughs> versus what position are the Sox bad at, it just conveniently works out that there are several options who could fit that mold in both ways. And Blake Mitchell is one of them. You know, you're talking about a lefty power bat, which the White Sox basically never have, and a catcher, which aside from you know a couple of good years of Grandal, the White Sox haven't had in a long time. So I know there's a lot of risk involved in all that, but I do agree with you. That was actually going to be what I would say. So I'm kind of on the fence on a pick like Mitchell. Um, not not just because of the profile, but targeting a catcher in general. Maybe it's the Pozak Collins era still kind of weighing on me, but more more so from the fact that um, catching is not a strong position around the. I, I almost feel like it's kind of like the whole second base versus right field argument. Where do you spend? Like I, I'd rather be weaker at a weak position than like the best at a weak position. Like, like well, weaker at a weak position that where I strengthened a stronger position elsewhere, like right field, for example, when, when talking about the offseason, I kind of view it the same way um, where it's like, yeah, having a, Catch would be great, but it's such a weak position overall. I, I'd almost prefer to put the chips elsewhere. Necessarily. I'm not saying it would be a bad pick. That's just sort of my idea behind it. But again, it all depends on the board. And I, I think that kind of leads in perfectly, uh, Michael, between, you know, like Blake Mitchell, um, a couple of the other names we've mentioned. Who are other guys that you think, I mean, you, you mentioned like, Hey, there could be like 10 to 15 who are maybe three, four, five other guys that are like, Hey, Sox fans really get to know these guys because of whether maybe you like them a lot or you've heard them connected to the white Sox a lot. 
Yeah, so uh, another guy that I mentioned a little bit earlier was Hurston Waldrop. Um, again, he if if they're gonna draft a pitcher, my guess is this would probably be the guy who's there at fifteen. Um, right hander from Florida. I mean, in all honesty, he's probably got as good of a pitching arsenal as any player in this draft, not named Paul Skeens, because Paul Skeens is just on an absolute different level than anyone else. Um, but he's uh he's not an overly imposing presence on the mound. He's about 6'2", over 200 pounds. So he's big enough to be, to, you know, to carry his, to carry up workload. Um, but he's got a really good mix with his, he's got a plus fastball. He's got a splitter, which people are concerned about his usage with the splitter, but it really is a plus, maybe even a double plus pitch. And he also has a slider that could be at least above average. So his pitching arsenal is fantastic. Um, there are some concerns with him, like I said, the splitter usage. Um, there is a little bit of effort in his delivery. Um, so it, he's going to need some you know, mechanical changes probably. Nothing that can't for sure be cleaned up, but it, it is you know, a little bit of room for concern. Um, but, Carson Fulmer vibes is uh, essentially what you're saying. I was trying not to be <laughs> there, but yeah. You know, the Jordan don't bring up every White Sox draft buck challenge. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you say, well, when you say he's got a delivery that requires a lot of effort, I'm like, oh, so the same things I said about Fulmer. It's like, I, which I don't mind. I loved that pick. I, I, I'm on record. And when Jordan says that he prefers an outfielder because of how bad our right field situation is, I think a joke. <laughs> <laughs> that was in reference to um, free agency. I ha- I have my guy in this draft. I want to see if Michael brings him up. Sorry to cut you off. <laughs> oh, no worries at all. Um, but yeah, I was trying not to poke the bear with the Carson Fulmer kind <laughs> of something I was thinking about because he's got those concerns with his delivery, but he does have absolutely filthy stuff. Um, but if he's someone you can fix, like he's he's got you know front end starter potential. So I think if you can get a guy like that at fifteen. I like the pick. I know there are some who are convinced that he's destined to be a reliever, so they wouldn't necessarily like that pick at 15. I, I'm a believer in Kirsten Waldrop. He could end up being my Carson Fulmer, so who knows? Um, but yeah, We all have our Carson Fulmer. We do. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, so in terms of pitching, that's probably the most likely guy. Um, and then if going back to position players, so honestly – the guy that I probably like the most and is still very realistic at 15 is Matt Shaw, the shortstop from Maryland. So he's, he's pretty, a pretty toolsy guy. You know, he's got a plus, you know, or at least above average to plus hit tool above average to plus power. He's got good speed. I mean, really the only knock on him is he doesn't have the best arm. So while he was a shortstop at Maryland, he's more than likely not going to be able to stick at shortstop because of that and he's he's fine with the glove he's nothing special with the glove but he's probably better suited for second base just because of that arm which I mean, personally i don't have a problem with because i think you draft him as a shortstop if you have to move him you have to move him because his bat's going to be what carries him through the system he's you know he was a guy that he didn't strike out a ton he walked a lot um He's again. He's got good power. He's just overall one of the better hitters in this draft. He's just the type of profile that I would prefer them to target. Where 
yeah, he's a college bat, so he doesn't have as much development to go, but he does still have some upside there, and he's got a decent floor as well. So I think if he's there at 15, he's probably my top choice. Um, but yeah, that that's the guy I like the most personally. And then just, just to throw in one more out there, um, I'd say another one who could be there at 15 is Arjun Namila, who he, he's really seen as a boom or bust um, prep shortstop. Um, for, he's from Florida, and he's he describes himself as patiently aggressive or something along those lines, which not sure how that works, but the guy is oozing with talent. Um, he's you know gonna be gonna take a lot of development, but he's a guy that is extremely talented. And if you're swinging for the fence, him or Blake Mitchell would be the guy that I'd want them to go for. So one guy I want to ask about as well that you didn't mention, which makes me think, hey, maybe I don't have this draft stuff down as much as I think I do. Um, Colin Houck out of Georgia. Um, just again, this is from a pure like I'm I'm molding myself. I'm trying to mold myself into a coach, right? I look at his swing. I really like his swing, but I don't know much beyond that. Like I am a YouTube scout at, at its finest. Um, what have you heard about him? What are some of the concerns with him? Because, again, it's a, a prep middle infielder. It, it feels like that's a decent demographic to target, but k- kind of along with some of the pros and cons of the other guys, what have you heard about him? Yeah, and I, I didn't leave him off because I don't like him either. I am a Colin Hawk fan. I would not be upset at all if the Sox drafted him at 15. Um, there is also a chance he might not be there at 15. He could go a few picks earlier. Um, but he is definitely a guy that I have seen the Sox connected to as well. Um, you know, he is sort of actually this year's Colson Montgomery type where he's, you know, a bigger shortstop, two sport athlete, some concerns about whether or not he's going to outgrow the position and have to move off. You know, there are those concerns about Colson Montgomery as well, even though those haven't come to fruition yet, but you know, he, he's, a he's got a good bat. He's, like you said, he's got a great swing. Uh, he's got at least above average hit tool right now, above average to plus power, rocket of an arm. So if he does have to move to third base, you know that that's fine. He could definitely profile there. Um, I'm I'm a Colin Hawk fan as well, and you know when, once he you know focuses solely on baseball, there's a ton of upside there for him to grow as a player. You know, again, just putting all your focus into one sport instead of you know also playing. Uh, also playing football. So I think that would be, I would be thrilled with that pick as well. Like I said, there's just so many different ways the Sox could go to where, um, you know, I can mention, I can rattle off four different prospects and you'll bring up one that I didn't mention. Like, well, he'd be a great one too. And here's why. So there's just so many different ways they can go. Um, you know, there, there seems to be a bit of a theme here with, you know, talking about, you know, prep, middle infielders and college middle infielders. And that's kind of what I was alluding to before is that's really where the strength is right now. So you can name anyone in that range and it would be, it would probably be a a solid draft pick for the White Sox. And this all is a crap shoot in the first place, right? I remember doing some of this prep stuff last year or preparation stuff last year for the draft. And it's like Noah Schultz was not even a name that really came across my radar all that much. So as much as we sit and you're, you're kind of like getting peppered with like this player, what about this guy? What about this guy? It's just as likely that they pull a name out of the hat that really no one was considering um, at that pick because of either commitments or anything like that, um, which I always think is worth mentioning as we try and 
boil this down to a science and like, oh, Michael, predict who's going to be the Sox draft pick. It's it is as an inexact science as it comes. Yeah, I mean, especially in regards to the Chicago White Sox, they are the ultimate pull a name out of the hat team. Um, I always love the White Sox group chats that I'm in on Twitter whenever we have the draft that are just oh, so uncontrollably angry every time we draft anybody. It's uh, it's always pretty great. Um, to the Colin Hawk point, um, I also do think it should be mentioned with, you know, with him having the potential of being a college football quarterback that that could bode a little bit into a decision based on the team that he's drafted to. Um, obviously while he's not getting, you know, recruited by any crazy teams, um, I think it's always just something to kind of pay attention to. Um, but one thing I did notice about reading your article, Michael, is just the vast amount of shortstops that are available in this draft. You know, I think, uh, I, I think that's a good problem to have for a team that could probably use a position really anywhere as far as how, you know, kind of how shallow our, our draft or how shallow our farm system is right now. And, you know, having a shortstop with the ability to kind of play, you know, multiple positions is a good problem to have. So um, seeing the amount of good shortstops that are in this draft is uh, it's it's a little comforting, honestly. And I don't know if that bodes into uh, how much you like a guy, a guy like uh, Matt Shaw. But um, I think it is a very, very good option if that's the way the White Sox were to go. If they were to draft one of the better shortstops to fall to 15, I don't think I would have a single problem with that. No, I mean, I don't think there's any ever anything wrong with drafting a shortstop because those are typically the guys that have the most defensive versatility as well. So, you know, if they can stick at shortstop, great. You develop them as a shortstop. If that position is blocked, you could probably end up moving them somewhere else anyways. Otherwise, some of them do outgrow the shortstop position and have to move to second or third or a corner outfield spot. So it just leaves you more options. So I'm I'm always fine with, you know, drafting the shortstop because – you you can it gives it leaves you a lot more options i think okay um so quick uh quick hypothetical here to end the show cuz i mean obviously while it's it's so hard to be able to pick these things um obstructed view ticket to your head from Wrigley Field who are the white Sox drafting oh, man there's again there's so many different options um i'm going to throw out a different name here and this isn't exactly one i would be super thrilled with but it is a guy that I know three years ago they were strongly considering drafting him in the 2020 draft. And that's uh, Yohandi Morales. He's the third base prospect from Miami. Um, I wouldn't like, – he's a, he's a first-round prospect, so he's got big-time power, a good arm. Like He is a true third-base profile. And I'm not necessarily saying this would be a bad pick. I just personally don't love the profile drafting, If depending on who else is available. Um, he does have a little bit to clean up with his swing and his hit tool. Um, you know, so as, as a college player, that's you know not always the, the best profile to go after. But again, when he was uh, coming into the 2020 draft as a high school shortstop, I know the White Sox were interested in him. I'm sure there's still interest there. So if I have to give a prediction, I'm going to give that one because at least I know that there's some previous interest there as well. So another bit, bit of a cop out there, but we're, we're going to go safe there if, uh, if you're, I'm uh, given a prediction. I, I've seen that one come across. I don't, I, I'm kind of the same way. It's like, I don't love the profile, but I wouldn't hate it. It's like the, the college third base profile. It's like you've already been put to third base because you didn't have the athleticism to stick up the middle. So you really, it, it's kind of like, 
it's not the same as drafting the first base, a first baseman in the same round, but it, it kind of is. It's like you got it. Your bat has to carry you. Yes. Um, and, and that's always a concern for me in, in first round picks is the guys whose bat has to potentially carry yeah. them. But I, it's definitely a name I've heard from quite a few people as well, Michael. So I think that, you know, in terms of predictions, it's a safe you, one. You, you're, yeah, you, you've got a good safe one there. I'll, yeah. I'll still make sure to give you some crap if it's wrong, but that, nice that's neither uh, here nor there. I wouldn't expect it <laughs> less. Yeah, I just, uh, I don't know how prepared I am to draft another corner infielder and potentially make him an outfielder. I'd be <laughs> a lot more comfortable with drafting a shortstop and attempting to make him an outfielder. The, but the Duke positivity me. is just gone. <laughs> like, I don't know where it went. <laughs> like, it's, it's gone. Like, even Nick. Even you know, Nick making the joke about right field and second base. I'm like, I, I think it's just all gone for everybody right now. <laughs> that time of year. <laughs> the Elvis Andrews um, experiment has taught us that any shortstop can play second base. So go ahead and jot that down when we draft shortstop. And with that, I think that is all we have for the Sox on 35th podcast. Michael, it was great having you on, buddy. Um, be sure to plug uh, any Twitter bio, anything you got. Um where can we find you? I know we ask you this at the end of every episode, but let's really plug it up, man. We need to get you way more followers than you have right now because your stuff is great. Appreciate that, man. And, yeah, I agree. I do need some more followers. I'm stuck at around 300 right there, so we got to get those numbers up a little bit. Um, so you, you can find me on Twitter at msuero. That's M-S-U-A-R-E-O. Uh, I am not on threads yet, but, you know, depending on how, you know, Elon Musk's uh, tenure as the – owner of Twitter goes, we'll, we'll see. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll make the transition soon. Right now I'm writing out on Twitter, but so for now, uh, that's where you can find me. And, you know, I'm always trying to write stuff on the state of the farm system and how prospects are doing at Sox on 35th. So check me out over there as well. Uh, Michael, if you want to get a lot of eyes on your stuff, go ahead and tweet potentially half criticisms of Luis Robert and you'll, you'll kind of blow up. There's a really easy way to get a lot of people on your account right there. I can't steal that from you. That's your thing. I, I would <laughs> never want to steal that from you. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be mad if you did. I, I kind of want to be done. With uh, so it's, it's all yours for the taking. Um, but seriously, thank you for joining the show. Um, thanks for all the work you do. I, I think, it's something that we had been lacking for a long time was consistent minor league coverage at Sox on 35th. And I think you have more than stepped up and really, really done a great job with that. And hopefully there won't be too much emphasis on the farm um, in the coming years. But uh, if there is, you will certainly do a great job in covering that for us. I appreciate that, Jordan. Yeah, I didn't expect to be covering the farm as, you know, prominently as I am this year. But, you know, I'm always happy to do it, you know, keeping track of the White Sox prospects is how I got through the first rebuild and it's how I'm going to get through this next one. So always happy to do them. And I'm always happy to keep everyone informed on, uh, on how we're doing down there. Well, Michael, if the White Sox draft Matt Shaw, I will buy you a straw Chicago White Sox hat to just really drive the point home about how great you are with the farm. But with that all out of the way, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, anywhere you listen. We're over there. Find us, SoxOn35th.com, as well as following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at SoxOn35th to stay up to date with your Chicago White Sox. This has been Duke Coughlin. Joined this week by Jordan Lazowski, Nick Gower, and Michael Suaro. We will be back next week as we cover another week of White Sox baseball. 
Thank you. Thank you, Rick Hahn, and go Sox. Go Sox. Go Sox. Go Sox. Go Sox.